Welcome to Conversing with Verse, where Kirk Barbera takes different poems of different complexity and applies them to the world around us. I bargained with life for a penny, and life would pay no more. However, I begged at evening when I counted my scanty store. For life is a just employer. He gives you what you ask. But once you have set the wages, why, you must bear the task. I worked for a menial's hire, only to learn, dismayed, that any wage I had asked of life, life would have willingly paid. This poem is in the first 30 pages of one of the best-selling books in the history of books. Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. Now, why would Napoleon Hill include a poem in the first 30 pages of his book on success and wealth building? This is a book about how to build wealth, how to get rich. So why would he start his book with a poem? What is it about this poem in particular and poems that can express things in a way that nothing else can express it. And then what does this poem actually mean, and how can it help you build wealth? Well, that's the purpose of this new podcast. It's to explore, to navigate through, to search and have fun with the myriad, the thousands of years of poetry at our fingertips. You see... I've always hated poetry. Poetry is a waste of time. It's stupid, silly, impractical, could never help you do anything except maybe make a girl smile at uh, a date or something. Maybe. It's ancient, prosaic, old, unnecessary. There's no need for poetry. And that's how I felt all the way up till the age of 28, when I finally understood what poetry was when I finally felt poetry. And this is the claim that I'm going to experience with you throughout this podcast, however long you want to join me on this journey, is that poetry is more than just words on a page. That poetry is literally an experience of life. That feeling you get when you're on the, the upward trend, the upward tilt of a roller coaster and you start seeing the bend go down and and that feeling you get when you're rushing down the roller coaster or if you've jumped out of a plane or told someone that you like that you like them that feeling you get that is the stuff of poetry that is what poetry does and there is a lot to what that means and so we're going to not answer hey this is what poetry is just believe what I believe. No, we're going to experience it and play with poetry. Because poetry is a dance of words, and that's what we're going to be playing with, is the meaning of poetry, the message of poetry, the rhythm and the meter, and how you can experience it. I'm going to teach you the poetry and show you some of the poetry that I love. And you're going to hate some of it. You're going to hate some of it. There is no such thing as loving poetry because someone says that you should love it. 
A poem is as personal as a, a lover, a friend, a you know, a relative. It's the most personal th- enjoyment or disdain thing in the world. You either love it, the poem or you don't love it, or it resonates with you or it does not resonate with you. There is no right or wrong, despite what your teachers may have taught you. And this is why I've always hated poetry. You're supposed to love this Shakespeare poem, but I don't understand what the hell it's talking about. This is what we will be exploring. What is good poetry to you? That's the important thing. And we're going to start with some of the poetry in Napoleon Hill's book, Think and Grow Rich. So this poem, I Bargain with Life for a Penny, is about the, des- the, the importance of desire and how desire can be a desire for something big or a desire for something menial and small, like a penny. So you can desire a million dollars or just a single penny. You can desire to own a skyscraper or, you know, a Toyota. And the point that Napoleon Hill makes in this section is that it's the same either way. That you can desire one or the other, but the desire of the one, the skyscraper versus the Toyota, is really just the same. So I'm going to tell you a little story, and it's one that comes out of this section. But first, I want you to th- you know, think during this break of what the uh, desires that you have are. Do you have clear desires? Do you have strong desires? Do you have weak desires? Because this poem is about what you desire. And this section of Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich is about having a definite, clear desire. He calls it the starting point of success and riches. So stick around for a story about desire. From Tramp to Champ, the bum who thought his way into partnership with Thomas Edison. Now, Desire is a curious thing. You know, we desire ice cream so our bodies stand up, walk to the freezer, and get an ice cream. It's not an instinct for ice cream. We're not squirrels. But it's a desire that we have and hold in our heads. We want it, and we shall have it. The curious thing is when we desire something, but we don't actualize, we don't realize, we don't make a reality of that desire. So we desire the ice cream, but it's not in the refrigerator or the freezer. So we sit back on the couch and try to ignore our desire. This is a story about a man who refused to sit back down. It had all started before he ever entered that freight train. But until the end of his days, he would look back upon that moment fondly. The man had been a tramp then. He dangled his dirty shoes over the edge of the train. The trees seemed to move slowly in front of him. He spotted a fox, not unusual in these parts during the end of the 19th century. He'd taken the freight train because he hadn't the money to pay passage to his destination. He was headed to Orange, New Jersey. It was an hour away now. And he had to get to Orange immediately. Several months earlier, the tramp, a man by the name of Edwin C. Barnes, had an idea. Now, as ideas are wont to do, the idea once planted began to germinate into something larger. Now, the unusual thing was this. 
the idea did not die as many ideas do. No other ideas pushed this idea aside, and it was not drowned by emotion or the chattering of many voices. The idea grew into a sturdy oak. Barnes had a clear purpose born from the idea. It had become a burning passion. He was determined to become the associate of the most renowned businessman of the era, Thomas Alva Edison. Arriving in Orange, Barnes hopped off the train, and like a comet pulled by the sun, he made a straight line to Edison. Suddenly, as if by destiny, Barnes stood before the Wizard of Menlo Park. He had walked directly to his building, straight up the staircase, right by the receptionist, and said, Mr. Edison, my name is Edwin Barnes. I am here to become your business partner. Edison was shocked and amused. He waved off his secretary, who was red in the face at the unannounced breach. The world will never know what these two men said upon first meeting. All that is known is the outcome. Barnes had failed to win his partnership, but he had been given a job. It was a menial job for nominal pay, something Edison would give to any young man who had asked. Barnes did not care. The oak had grown a little bit stronger. He would now have the opportunity to showcase his abilities, his talents, and his work ethic to his future partner. Strange thing, Edison had thought at the time. The man looked so ragged and unkempt, but his eyes burned with intensity. Edison would record many years later. I had learned from years of experience with men that when a man really desires a thing so deeply that he is willing to stake his entire future on a single turn of the wheel in order to get it, he is sure to win. Seasons changed, and so too did the tramp's attire, but his position within the company did not. Barnes was no more than a menial worker. Worse, Edison seemed oblivious of his existence. Barnes was like one of the desks in the office. This is about the time when he contemplated settling for a salesman job. There was nothing wrong with that life, he thought. Surely he could even raise a family on the income. There was but a single problem. The problem was the oak tree. He could not shake that very specific and singular desire. He had set out not to work for Edison, but with him. It was strong, that oak, and so was Barnes. He would have to wait. He was young. He was determined to wait till the end of his life if need be. However long it took him, he would gain a business alliance with the grand inventor. On a drab winter day many months later, the workers in the factory heard shouting. It emanated from the sales conference room. Curious and always eager to understand the institute for which he was employed, Barnes crept near the door. He heard all the salesmen arguing and debating over something. Apparently, Edison had once again been working in secret on a new invention. He had just unveiled it to the salesman. The salesman, in their knowledgeable manner, decreed it was an interesting machine that would never sell. Edison disagreed. He illustrated the features once more. Still, the salesman said it would be too difficult and complex to sell this machine to the public. 
In his curiosity, Barnes had leaned over and put his ear on the door. He heard Edison's voice, but it sounded scratchy. It sounded as if it came from some amplification device. Leaning further, the door opened and Barnes stumbled forward. Everyone was startled and stared at him. Barnes stood tall and stared at the machine, and he walked over to it. What is it? he asked in wonderment, like a child seeing a shiny new toy. I am calling this prototype the Edison Dictating Machine. It records your voice and plays it back to you. Barnes stood still and said, Lawyers could go over their briefs with it. Doctors their thoughts on a strange disease. Detectives their evidence on a murder. This is a spectacular invention. Barnes had said this without once looking at the reactions of the other men. For a moment, they had disappeared, and Barnes circled the machine as though it were a holy altar. I believe so, Edison stated flatly, but my salesmen believe it is far too complex for people to understand. They don't think we can compete with the efficiency and intelligence of a human secretary. Barnes finally looked up. He saw only Edison. It was back. The look in his eye he had upon first meeting Edison. It was that same burning intensity. The yoke must have been bristling. For the first time in a long time, it was Edison's fate in the hands of another. I will sell it, came Barnes's voice, as if through the dictograph itself. I will put this machine in every office in the country, even if I have to sell and install each one individually. The salesman grumbled, Oh, let him try. The fool will ruin himself, they said. But Edison saw only the intensity of his eyes. Do it, then, he responded. To the bewilderment of the sales staff, but not to Edison and Barnes. The machine quickly swept the entire country. Barnes changed the name to the Edaphone and sold it to office supply companies everywhere. Soon, there was a slogan on every box with an Edaphone, made by Edison and installed by Barnes. For 30 years, Barnes was the business associate of Thomas Alva Edison the collaboration making both men millions of dollars. Barnes had earned something more than money. He had earned a definite knowledge that with a very clear purpose, a desire, he could turn his burning desire into reality. Well, I hope you enjoyed that story as much as I enjoyed reading it. Now, the poem I will read once more. I bargain with life for a penny and life would pay no more. However, I begged at evening when I counted my scanty store. For life is a just employer. He gives you what you ask. But once you have set the wages, why, you must bear the task. I worked for a menial's hire, only to learn dismayed, that any wage I had asked for, life would have willingly paid. So once again, the purpose of this poem and this part of the book is Napoleon Hill is making the claim that you must have a strong desire or a passion for a specific outcome before you start to achieve wealth. Now, he uses the poem because poetry expresses desire and passion more than any other field. 
or form of expression. No painting or music can do the same thing of uniting desire and purpose and expression and language through uh, or in a more powerful way. Now, there are many poems about desires and achievement and success, but this is just the one that Napoleon Hill chose. And it's a good one for this purpose. He's saying at the beginning, you know, I bargained for life with life for a penny, and life would pay no more. However, I begged at evening when I counted my scanty store. So the way that Napoleon Hill puts it in the book, remember, no more effort is required to aim high in life, to demand abundance and prosperity, than is required to accept misery and poverty. So one of the themes that run throughout his book, Then Can Grow Rich, is that the types of thoughts, what you allow into your mind, determines the outcome of your life. If all you have in your mind is, I need to pay rent, I need an extra $1,000, I need you know, to uh, just be able to afford to put food on the table. Well, when you, as long as you put in the work, of course, of the, the hard work and the sweat and the tears of you know, doing a little bit more overtime, then guess what? You're going to pay the rent, you're going to get a little bit more food on the table, you're going to put gas in the car, and that's about it. Maybe you'll make an extra thousand bucks. But the same amount of work in, de- in terms of desire, the desire for great things isn't any different than the desire for little things. So you can say, I want a million dollars. That's the same thing as saying, I want a thousand dollars. Now, of course, this is the beginning of the book, so there's more to it than that. But he makes the point that I think is true, that you need a definite starting point. You need to have a desire, a strong desire for something. Now, how to have that desire, you know, what desires are appropriate to you, when should you give up, or or should you ever give up a desire or not? These are important questions that I think you need to make sure that you answer for yourself. But this poem and the first couple of pages of Napoleon Hill's book, make the claim that at the very least, when you're getting started, you cannot have anything before the strong, powerful, passionate desire for an outcome. Okay, that is your show. Now, in the future, we will take different poems of different complexity and different challenges and apply them to the world around us, or, and, I should say, experience them to the best of our abilities. And I'll say that one of the reasons that I'm most interested in making this as a podcast, an audio, is the secret to poetry that everyone misses, is that poetry must be read aloud. If you are reading poetry in a book and you are not reading it out loud several times in a row, you're not experiencing poetry. More on that in the future. Thank you. 